Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. I have been reading an extraordinary study. It's called Never Normal. It called to address the new realities posed by COVID-19. We're going to discuss that with one of its creators, who is in Santiago, Chile. Then we go to Ed Salzburg in Washington, D.C., who has read the study and is going to give us his view of the study. And finally, we talk to David Tessitore, who is going to tell us of the role played by amateur radio, ham radio, in the time of the virus and how it is alleviating some of the loneliness and isolation. We go now to Santiago, Chile, and to Dimitris Boutolis, Deputy Chairman of the Cross Industry Innovation Strategy Group. Welcome to the broadcast, Dimitri. The report is conspicuously international. The title alone uh, is something you don't hear, never normal, a call to address the new realities posed by COVID-19. 12 countries, 70 people, uh, none of them politicians, all of them primarily people involved in innovation in one way or another because of the genesis of the report. What can we carry from one country to another? We intentionally lay down all of our discussion over five major principles. The first one that you have mentioned, the report itself uh, uh, will have to represent like a global uh, thought. Also, we need to um, interact with the reality uh, in a dynamic way. We need to introduce innovative uh, ideas, trying to stretch a bit more or less the, the, the standard type of, of ideas that we are exchanging on a daily uh, basis. Another important um, principle that we introduced was the sustainability. Uh, it's, 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 not, it's not valuable to think about all ideas if we are not able to sustain those ideas in, in the future. So sustainability of our uh, ideas were really, really important. And also the capability to develop join forces between all the actors involved, the civilian society in a structured or non-structured world, uh, bottom-up, top-down, are able to start talking um, between one each other and trying to put in common ideas that in many occasions are not over the table. And we discovered that... Some, what are some of these big ideas? Let's try to drill down a little yeah. bit. Uh, uh, what is uh, going to be different? You have a daughter just born, two months yeah. old, born into quarantine. Yeah. How different is her life going to be as she grows up because of COVID-19? Yeah, everything is going to be different to what we have lived so far for, for her. She's living in quarantine since she was born. There are a lot of things that have changed. For example, what we are doing right now, communication and interaction and paradigms regarding how we are able to work have dramatically changed. The penetration of digital um, uh, uh, economic activities. We saw the other day that in eight weeks in the U.S. market, the penetration of the retailers, digitally speaking, have grown like 10, 15 uh, percentual points, more than in the last 10, 10 years, no? And that is going to stay there because when you shake in such a dramatic way an entire society at a global scale, it's very difficult to, to come back to the, to the original shape. One of the also elements that we, we discover and put in common within the group was the necessity to, to capture the value of the data. 
with the capabilities of the technologies, talking about AI or talking about machine learning, the possibility of create a, a global inventory of anonymous data that will preserve the result of the tests that globally have been performed could uh, accelerate the discoveries about how to tackle this, this pandemic or, or future illness. No? And that was a, a statement that was hammered by many of the participants, independent of the background, the countries, very valuable. Your B report is very emphatic about data and its role in the future. In fact, in a way, it's data-driven. Its largest message is we live in an age of data, and it's going to be more, not less important as we approach something looking like normalcy. That suggests to me, and what you've just said, that we're going to see, if anything, more globalization, not less. Uh, that's an interesting uh, debate. No? Uh, becoming global, probably we will take care um, in a better way of our local environment. No? That uh, dualism between the necessity to, to come across global solution and at the same time take the responsibility in your inner circle of influence, I think it's something that is going to stay for, for a long time. Digital assets and capabilities will allow us to change the zoom continually from a local lens of our communities and for a global perspective. And that's the reason why probably we, we as a human species um, have a bigger responsibility because the influence of what we are doing in a local environment is able to have impact in a global scale. No? And that is it's really relevant in, in this crisis. One of the suggestions is that we're going to have more surveillance. We're going to need more surveillance, including, interestingly, surveillance of sewage, because it tells so much about a society and tells uh, the intensity of this epidemic, for example. Yeah, that was one, one idea that was included in, in the report. The report includes 28 uh, ideas classified in different categories. Um, the tracking of all kind of assets, including the storage, to identify traces and to um, clarify which areas could have higher propension. And it's a very interesting idea in terms of efficiency. With less tests in a distributed area, you are able to have like a heat map, in this case based in a waste, human, human waste that could identify areas that will require further attention, different protocols. Um, um, you first mentioned the capability of, of give a bit of our information or share consciously for a good purpose uh, a bit of our more valuable asset, what we are doing or where we are in order to provide traceability that will serve the community in order to be in a riskier uh, situation. It's something that I have, we have the, the impression that is going to be um, an open debate that will evolve at, at in the short term um, is going to be very valuable to reduce the, the propension of the, of the virus, for sure. The uh, environment comes into your report, and it points out that because of the, the quarantine, the global quarantine, there has, in fact, been a mitigation of the amount of environmental pollution, cleaner air, cleaner water. Is this going to lead to a, a world movement that we don't have at the moment? to really concentrate on the environment? 
that's a great question. That's a positive side effect that I think is going to raise uh, or is going to reinforce the commitment and the awareness about how sensible is our world, but how effective could be uh, actions like the, the action that we are taking right, right now. We are seeing uh, different dynamics in animals. We are seeing pollution that changes the percentage and so on with positive impact in the future from the health. And I think if we learn from that uh, opportunity window about what we can't consciously uh, introduce in the, in the climate uh, equation, that could be helpful for the future, for sure. After your work on this study, this enormous piece of work, bringing together 70 people to agree, which is not easy, you can't get three or four people to agree, uh, bringing them all together to find these large trends that are evident to everyone. Did you end your deliberations optimistic or depressed? Totally optimistic, and without any, any doubt. I never have been interacting with such a talented group of people, diversity of background, nationalities, all type of thoughts, 70 of you have mentioned, and never have been easier to put in common complementary ideas. That's the beauty. When you put in common uh, talent and you frame the discussion, lay down the objective in a very clear uh, way, magic happens, creativity raises, and conventional and non-conventional ideas are transferred to a reality. The problem as always, execution. So I'm optimistic about the future, but the challenge is how to drive those ideas into a meaningful, um, grounded action plan. No? And that's the, the next stage for sure. Demetrius Pontolos in Santiago, Chile, thank you for joining us on White House Chronicle. Thank you to all of you. And good luck to you. Edward Salzberg is Executive Director of the Security and Sustainability Forum he is an old friend of this program. Welcome to the broadcast, Ed. Thank you, you Llewellyn. You have been reading or have read this study, Never Normal. How does it strike you? Well, I thank you for uh, for uh, getting me involved in that and giving, giving me a chance to read it and having the, um, the director send it over to me. Um, I thought it was really fascinating. So they're talking about not the new normal, but the never normal, which is very consistent with some of the work I've been doing on resilience and risk assessment. Um, I worked with uh, Joseph Fixell as one of the pioneers in, in resilience who keeps saying we're really beyond risk assessment. We're into this, he still calls it new normal, but it's where everything is moving. And if things are not fixed, we need a whole new paradigm to think about the future. And that's really what I see in this new initiative um, that's getting started. Um, I really like the fact that leaders from around the world are combining together kind of like a club of Rome to take a look at um, what we need, what society needs to do to prepare for a future that's continually changing. Um, I was just read a New York Times article today about uh, the graduates and the disadvantage the graduates have that are coming out now. Um, they can't get a job, which was not true when I graduated with my chemical engineering degree. We could go anywhere. We had a much different view of the world. Their view of the world is really changed. Some of the degrees that they got may not be applicable to the to the new world the way it's going to be looking. And 
some of the degrees that give you some basic concepts and teach you how to apply and reapply those, I think are gonna be the very high value educations uh, that, that people are gonna be looking at. The study puts a big emphasis on data mm -hmm. and the future managed by our interpretation and our ability to utilize data and to draw lessons from it. Uh, how important is data going to be? There is a saying, it's the new oil. Is well, this a brief infatuation we have as we've had so many infatuations in the past or is this for real? Well, you know, data has always been the power position. I um, mean, if you have the data, you're, you, you're, you're able to make decisions and you're, 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 you're in the lead, you're in the pole position all the time if you do have sound information. Um, so that those people that really do understand how to collect and use information really are going to be at the head of the class. So I think there's going to be an even bigger emphasis um, on, on data, getting data, measuring data, and also putting it into a context so that um, you can continually update it as, it, as, as the world is changing. I think that, that things, things uh, assessments that are fixed are really assessments of the past. Assessments are now gonna be based on new data that's come up constantly coming in and assessments that are maybe through intelligent systems are changing in response to the way the processes and systems are actually being impacted and changing. I think Eisenhower would do very well in this environment. He, he said that uh, plans are useless, but planning is everything. So I think planning and replanning needs to be done much more quickly um, because of the, the threats that we're facing, both from climate, from, from pandemics, and from just a host of things that we didn't have to face years ago. Several things you say are very interesting. One is people who will not have traditional work, which suggests there'll be a lot more self-employed people in what is known as the gig economy. And they will have to be accommodated. They are not at the present accommodated with social security and other considerations like that. Uh, workers' compensation comes to mind. And power is knowledge, as I believe the Rothschilds will want to say. Uh, this is now clearly the future, but also in that knowledge base is the fact that the environment is right on a knife edge. Mm -hmm. Recently, The Economist did a disturbing breakdown of how far climate change has gone, how intricate it is, and how it's not going to be immediately returned to the status quo, even if we stop burning all the fossil fuels on Earth. That's correct. That's correct. So, you know, climate has started to not be a constant. I mean, you can, you can plan for uh, infrastructure and investments in infrastructure if the, if the climate is constant. If the climate is not a constant, then, then those investments are really high-risk investments. But it's not only weather and the climate, it's the impacts of those that have, that have really changed the uh, Earth's ability to regenerate and support, its, support a population, whether it's human or animal population, um, the oceans, for example, off, uh, off the coast of California that are degrading in terms of oxygen content, which means the plankton are dying, which means the fish are moving to new grounds, which means the fishermen have to go to new, go to, go to new lengths in order, to, in order to catch the fish, if there are any at all. So it's, it's, gone, it's gone beyond climate into so, actual sy ecological systems that are disrupted. 
So reasonably one can say neither for fish nor for human beings is the new normal normal. It is never normal. It is never normal. And the new normal is now never normal. Thank you so much for coming on the broadcast. Edward Salzberg, Executive Director of the Security and Sustainability Forum. David Tessitore is president of the Providence Radio Association. Welcome to the broadcast, David. Providence Radio Association. As if I didn't know, it is in fact a part of the global ham radio, as we say, which is not a pejorative, but it's what it's called, or amateur radio that sweeps the globe. Take it away and tell us what it is, David. Okay. Uh, hello, Llewellyn. Thank you for uh, having me as your guest. Uh, the Providence Radio Association has been around since 1919. We've been promoting the uh, science and the art, along with the uh, hobby or avocation of amateur radio. The current pandemic, you're talking to people around the world. Are you talking to them in English? Are you talking to them in Morse code in English? How does it work? And how far do you reach and how many people do you talk to in the course of a day or a week? Well, it's uh, wonderful questions. Um, ham radio is, uh, is based on international friendship. Uh, I was tuning around today and there's a group of uh, stations uh, from the Czech Republic who are uh, celebrating uh, stay at home. Uh, and uh, they're using this as a, a vehicle to transmit to the world their feelings of uh, empathy with, uh, with all the other uh, amateur radio operators around the globe uh, and transmit this message. So during the course of a day, uh, I personally will make uh, you know, several dozen contacts with people uh, who may be uh, throughout North America and oftentimes around the world. Are you able to give them news and information and comfort at this time of isolation and uh, obviously yes us are shut in? Obviously the number one thing on everyone's mind is the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, when we first get over the uh, the subtleties of uh, uh, of talking about our name and what kind of radios and antennas we're using which which we'd love to do uh, the conversation quickly goes to uh, how is your family, uh, are you staying safe, how are things in your country. Uh, and uh, uh, we're getting a lot of information, uh, especially with people who have relatives here in the States. So I'll be talking to someone and they'll ask, so tell me what is really going on in the Boston area. I have a cousin there and I will give them the news from that uh, particular region. And uh, how do you speak to them? Do you speak to them uh, in words? Do you speak to them in code? Well, Is it always English-based or do you have several languages? If, for example, you're speaking to, what do you call somebody, a correspondent uh, in, say, North Vietnam? You how well, uh, do you speak to them and what language and are they taken out and shot afterwards? We <laughs> We are speaking uh, using the uh, English language, um, but most of the time, uh, personally, I am using Morse code. Uh, Morse code has uh, an ability to do two things. It reaches farther, 
technically, I can uh, traverse a farther distance, a greater distance with Morse code than I can with uh, voice modes due to uh, it actually, uh, Morse code as elementary as it is, is data communications. So uh, these little, the Morse code are actually bits of data and they transmit a lot more easily than the complexity of speech or video as we're doing here. So I can go farther. But the other thing is uh, that goes back to the early days of the telegraph, uh, ham radio is laden with international abbreviations, just as uh, the youth do with text messaging. So uh, we, we have a, a myriad of, uh, of abbreviations that we use that are universal in language. So my location is not uh, Rhode Island. My Q-T-H-R-I is what I would send. Q-T-H-R-I. My location is Rhode Island. Uh, Q-R-Z, Q-R-Z, question mark. How do you hear me? Um, Q-S-L. I, I, re, uh, I uh, confirm what you told me. Thank you. Uh, QSL is almost like the Roger Roger or the 10-4. So we have an international dialect uh, that we use that also aids to speed up the as rather slow Morse code. As pilots do. As uh, pilots do, yes. Give me some of the more exotic places. You Well, they wouldn't be exotic to them, they're exotic to us, but uh, where you're, you wouldn't expect to be talking. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we love to do in one of the uh, tests of any amateur radio operator from the beginning of time, uh, you know, from the beginning of the early 1900s when, when this uh, all started, uh, has been distance, uh, right? It, it's, we want to raise the bar and everyone wants to see how far can you go. It's, it's a fun measurement. And we've turned it, uh, ham radio operators have turned it into a game uh, such that we want to contact each one of the 344 identified entities on planet Earth. Entities being specific geographic uh, locations on planet Earth. And they are defined, and there's 340 of them. Uh, I am lucky enough to have uh, contacted 329 of them. So I have a little ways to go. Um, Give us some countries. Uh, so uh, one of the uh, more uh, uh, fabulous ones that uh, I have contacted was uh, a place called uh, a Peter One. And uh, you'll see I'm drinking my coffee out of a uh, Peter One uh, coffee mug. Uh, Peter One is off the coast of Antarctica. It's claimed the fame is more men have been on the moon than have been on Peter One. Uh, there is an amateur radio operator, shortwave radio. So, uh, the, and, and uh, the uh, shortwave radio operation that happened in 2006 changed now, that. It seems to me, while we are in quarantine, or while we are confined, uh, not expecting to get back to our normal routines in a hurry, that you will get some converts to ham radio. Uh, how does somebody go about it? Do you have to learn Morse code first, which is actually quite simple? Uh, yes. Uh, I had to learn some of it when I was learning to fly. I don't think we ever used it except to identify radio beacons, but it was pretty useful. Um, go ahead. Uh, how, would, how would a schmuck like me, who knows nothing about this thing, 
uh, turns a knob and expects sound to come out, how would I launch myself into the world of radio? Well, of course, uh, right now there's, uh, there's plenty of uh, online resources to assist one. Uh, we have an organization called the American Radio Relay League. Uh, the ARRL has a, uh, a plethora of, uh, of uh, self-learning, uh, uh, self-directed courses online. They uh, were founded in 1914 uh, for the purpose of uh, fostering uh, people, hobbyists, uh, who are interested in amateur radio to pass their FCC examination. Uh, we do have to pass an examination by the FCC, uh, similar to your pilot's uh, license. Um, but uh, there's pilots, nothing like pilots, having a... Pilots also have to have an FCC license. That is correct. Their radio operator's license. Uh, as to uh, high sea uh, maritime operators. Uh, but there, there, there's nothing that beats having a mentor uh, someone, uh, a neighbor who's interested in the hobby, a uh, friend, or joining a radio club such as the Providence Radio Association, or the uh, one of the uh, ten thousand or so. Equipment. You do not, and actually, there's a, a big resurgence in amateur radio right now uh, because of the uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, people are interested in. Uh, emergency communication, or what we call MCOM. Also, the maker movement, um, and their electronic hobbyists playing with their uh, Raspberry Pis and Arduino uh, circuitries uh, are, are very interested in uh, wireless data communication, and hence have gravitated towards amateur radio. So uh, we've seen a great growth in interest of ham radio, uh, uh, people wanting to become ham radio operators, because of emergency communications and uh, a survivalist attitude, an off the grid attitude, and the maker movement who are bringing people back into uh, you know, the STEM uh, 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 curriculum. Your call sign? My call sign is K1DT, or as uh, you, from your pilot days, Kilo One Delta Tango. And the, the K, uh, or a W prefix uh, denoting the United States of America, the one uh, representing New England, and then a unique identifier. So that's where the K1DT is. Uh, a, I have a friend in uh, Czech Republic. He is OK1DT, Oscar Kilo1DT, OK being the international prefix for the Czech Republic. David, promise to come back and play us out with some Morse code on your radio behind you. Oh, I'd love to, and I, I, will, uh, I will send you some messages here. And I just said, thank you very much. Best regards, best wishes. And I will talk to you again. This has been K1DT in Rhode Island. Thank you, David. This is White House Chronicle. That is our show for today. We hope that you are safe and secure and that this very difficult time will pass without hurt to you. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we 